Welcome back to another episode of the USL show. Look, we're there's not a whole lot to talk about this week except for it's about uh 8:03 my time and that means the Charleston Battery just got another red card. Um you know, it is what it is. It's raining red cards in South Carolina and nothing's going to stop it. Um I guess I don't know. We'll see what Pro does. Uh, lots of games to talk about, lots of fun things to talk about. But let's go ahead and just start talking. John, how you doing, my man? Doing well. Um, I suspect I would have hit on him at the end, but I am so hyped for Andor dropping uh, within hours. New Star Wars content, always my thing. I, I keep seeing the... Uh, one of the trailers for it and i always get more stoked because i always try to tell myself tell myself don't believe in the star wars hype and then i always do it anyway so it's really pointless tyler how you doing man doing awesome uh just kind of coming down from all the busyness that's already even happening this week um exciting news the strikers u5 team first win this weekend my son dominated on the back line goal line clearances yeah. everywhere uh yeah no it's fun uh coaching five-year-olds is insane <laughs> the strikers are going up you heard it here first that's right <laughs> playing <you six. laughs> all right ryan how you doing i'm doing okay kayler just trying to find time to fit in the uh three episodes of andor when it first drops which will mean a uh, 3 a.m wake-up call <laughs> worth it <laughs> so, so worth it so worth it look there's a lot to talk about from the week that was a little bit of Jesus Christ, John. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, already thrown off my game. If you're not in the YouTube chat and you just listen to the podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes we react to things that are in the YouTube chat. So every now and then, if it sounds like one of us are really thrown off by something in the chat, just go to that timestamp and just go look at whatever somebody sent. Cause it's normally something good. Um, <laughs> man, but lots to talk about from the week that was and a little bit of news today, some major <laughs> quality news coming to the USL that I don't even think battery fans really cared about. Um, anybody have any thoughts on, uh, a former rowdy who won NASL coming to the USL? Anybody have any real thoughts on the matter? I do want to say like, I know that the hiring of Cohen was maybe a little bit underwhelming just with how it was hyped up. But if you look at the track record of being involved with that Charleston or, or rather with that Tampa Bay organization for about a decade, that's one of the most well-run clubs that there's been in the lower leagues over that stretch. And it, while he individually might not be the flashiest name, it's part of a series of decisions that seem to be wise with what the battery are doing, moving on from the Anheuser era and bringing in someone in Connor Casey, who he's had a rough first year, but he's someone with experience at the highest levels in America. Uh, the signing that they had with Fidel Barajas, the uh, Mexico United States youth national, who has the potential to end up getting sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're making smart steps, and this is just another piece that sort of builds that broader image of Charleston kind of looking towards the future, even if this was overhyped on its own. Yeah, I mean, so Lee Cohen coming in, obviously his track record's awesome. 
There's no question about that. His track record is awesome. I know it's kind of a meme from our friends out at Walkin' 90 um, with the whole, you know, Charleston's going League One. I mean, granted, all of their close, closest rivals have dropped down to League One, self-relegated. And it started to feel like, at times, it felt like Charleston may self-relegate because it just felt like one of those seasons. Because we kind of saw it before um, with other teams that they just play really poorly and then they just decide, meh, let's uh, let's go down a league. Um, but with bringing in a guy like Lee Cohen, um, it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case. You know, this is a guy who is set to win championships in the championship, not going to a Division three level. Yeah, and I think it's uh, especially tough with uh, just Charleston trying to move on from their previous era, something that has pretty much just dominated the team for so long of its history, especially from you saw from their previous championship in 2012 to now. It's it's tough to really move on from that era of play, and especially here, it takes a few seasons to try and rebuild that, and I think it'll be very interesting to watch the Battery and to watch FC Tulsa try and kind of like reshape the team kind of moving forward and it might be a really interesting question for the offseason on which team has the brighter future the next season to five seasons. You know, I, this seems like a no-brainer considering the position in the table, but that is something I kind of want to ask about. And that's a great just like, I guess, talk show, you know, <laughs> uh, question is, who does think you – who does have the brighter future right now between FC Tulsa – and Charleston Battery. I mean, you look at the table and it seems like a no-brainer, but then look at the roster that Charleston has. It's not a bad roster at all. Um, what do you guys think? Is that what kind of conversation are we having with this? Two new GMs that are trying to reshape a brand of footy. I think that I would lean towards Tulsa in that regard just because Sam Dor has the proven track record across organizations, across sports even, that, well, again, Cohen has done a good job. He's never been the guy at a club, and or has, simply put. Tulsa, I don't want to underrate what they have roster-wise either. Uh, Marcus Epps on a multi-year deal there. They've got some really good international-level players in that squad. And coming out of the Michael Encian era where there were pretty clearly some issues in that locker room. So just trying to find that new culture, bringing in someone in Blair Gavin with that MLS experience, but also the familiarity with a Phoenix rising in the USL level. I think they've got the building blocks in in place on the field in a way that's a little bit superior to what you're seeing from Charleston. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, it's just, it's definitely an interesting conversation and you know, let's. I do want to dive a little bit farther, and I want to expand on something with Marcus Epps. Um, Phoenix sure would like to have him right now, huh? I mean, I, I just don't. None of it. I'm thinking back on that trade, and for people who don't remember, it's just, it was JJ Williams for Marcus Epps, and there might have been an international talk. That, that was it. That was it. I. I don't get it, like, at all. Uh, Marcus Epps, he's great, but it doesn't seem to fit what's going on in Tulsa personally. 
And J.J. Williams, I love J.J. I do. I loved him from his time here in Birmingham. He's a talented player, but what he's doing is clearly not fitting in Phoenix right now. Granted, nobody's fitting in Phoenix right now. So, especially from the Phoenix side, if the GM, like if that whole front office knew that they were going to be firing shots, why would you make a trade for a coach that's not going to be there within two weeks? I mean, to be fair, Everton had uh, sold Luca, uh, one of their former players, Aston Villa, then sacked the coach. So it's not unheard of in football. Why'd oh, you have to bring that at up? The, yeah. At the time, <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time of the trade, like that situation with Shantz was a bit more fluid and kind of sudden than we're maybe giving it credit for, where they were clinging on to him until the last minute. And when you initiate that trade, Epps was someone that wasn't getting starter minutes at the time. And you bring in a Williams who fits the traditional mold of what Shantz wants from that real solid physical number nine, much as you got from Arufat Dadashov, Adam John in the past. On the Tulsa side of things, it's the commitment to building for the future, knowing that, yeah, they had a playoff shout, but it was never going to come off this season. So Williams, with a one-year contract that's up at the end of this season, is an asset that you can turn into Epps, who has the potential to be a building block. And uh, Tulsa was running with a sort of 3-5-2 shape, really aggressive on the counterattack when they made the trade, and they've changed systems since then. But Epps fit that mold perfectly as one of the best transition dribblers in the USL. So... I kind of bought what both teams were doing at the moment and things have diverged kind of in the wrong direction for everyone involved since then. But I think there was an argument to be made and I think we're not going to be able to fully litigate the results of this for probably another year, just when uh, the pieces fall where they do. For sure. But I, I know we normally at this point we're doing shock or no shock, but we have to talk about that Memphis-Charleston game. Um, this has been the closest time I've ever seen players try to actively quit during a game, as it appeared. I mean, there was a lot going on in this match, too. Between the red cards and whatever Charleston was doing, um, I cannot wait personally to see this episode of Becoming Elite from uh, Matt Sheldon. I'm sure that one's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we saw something out of the fans too. There was a protest happening in the stands where the supporters section were not lighting off smokes. They were not cheering for goals. The only sounds that were coming from were allegedly uh, from the drum line that the front office paid and all the smokes were being popped by people the front office paid. Now, this is stuff that had been coming out from leaders of the supporter section. So if something's not completely accurate there, obviously correct us on that. But this, you know, pay the man, pay Ben Pierman, is starting to get some real legs. And Memphis fans are getting real angry while, well, like I said, Charleston's players are actively trying to quit the game. I mean... What? Yeah, how, I, how are you? I mean, as someone who's on the other side of that rivalry, Kaylor, how are you feeling about just the general vibe in Memphis right now? I mean, if I'm if I'm going to talk as a biased Birmingham fan, the cons, the idea of Memphis losing Ben Pierman 
is a cele- is a celebration. I mean, and that should tell you everything that Memphis needs to know, right? That if their biggest rival is going to be celebrating them not signing that coach, which allegedly, if you have missed that drama, their front office came out and said, we gave him the most lucrative deal, but Ben Pierman's agent didn't even respond, which they kind of came out and said the same thing when they couldn't sign uh, Kyle Murphy. Um, they came out with a similar statement. And so the question is, is are they not paying enough? Is this stuff even happening? And the fans are getting sick of it. I mean, the fans, from what I can tell in Memphis, are really upset with their front office. And frankly, they should be. Um, I'm going to ask you, Tyler, if, you know, we're coming in from your club, uh, Lexington, uh, you know, sporting club, starting next year, right? And four years down the road, you have only made the playoffs once and you are on track to being, you know, possibly the number one seed in the USL and your team has not signed the best coach in your club's short history to an extension. Would you blame the supporters for being angry and possibly protesting? I mean, I feel like having some strong emotions over that are pretty warranted, Um, especially if there have been frustrations in previous seasons and then you finally are on the upswing and you can you can taste the playoffs and possibly a league win if things go right your way. Um, And you have a front office that's not supporting keeping a coach that's going to make that happen. Um, That can definitely, you know, cause a lot of, uh, you know, tribulation between the fans. And um, I, I could see where that frustration would come from, um, you know, and it's it's one of those situations where the front office has to, to make things happen. And if they can't make that happen, then they better have a really good solution otherwise, because um, once you lose the fans, you've kind of lost everything. And I think it's warranted to have a team to like question the front office's own ambition and like what's the overall direction on where you're heading and what what is your plan for the future you see this out in uh phoenix recently this year and if you're looking at a memphis team who are just a mere five points off of louisville and potentially two points off if they can get a win this weekend against louisville uh you you're like really questioning on like are you committed to a vision of success or or is this kind of more what pyramid is doing to get the team to where it needs to be and then regardless of this season you're going to go a new direction next year it's just it's just so bizarre to me. And if the rumors are true that Pierman's agent isn't even responding, and this is all just me thinking, right? This this is not coming from I'm not getting any of the sources of what I'm about to say from anybody. So don't anybody run with this. This is just my own thought process. But Surely, if he's not responding to these messages, that is apparently allegedly the most lucrative deal in the USL. Something must have happened between the front office and Pierman, or Pierman has a better offer. You know, and a better offer may not be financial; it may be a step up. And I, those have to be and the ben, only. Two ben Pierman's dad really is a big lurker on Twitter. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, when that news broke, I retweeted it with a cheeky plug to the article I wrote saying an MLS team should take a look at Pierman, and his dad retweeted it. <laughs> so, like, mm. take a, take what you will out of that. Like, that doesn't at all mean that an MLS team is looking at him. But with what he's done in Memphis, 
the track record across different levels of the game, you wouldn't be surprised if it was there was some uh, fire to the smoke. No doubt. And also one of my favorite things of especially U.S. soccer, I feel like this is specifically a thing here, is random disgruntled parents liking and retweeting things. Um, it's my favorite thing that happens. Um, like whatever you want to think of them, whatever. But Christian Pulisic's parents randomly just retweeting stuff and just all of U.S. men's national team Twitter just going berserk. Or, yeah, Ben Pierman's dad retweeting stuff. I love when parents get involved. It is my favorite thing that happens in U.S. soccer. Maybe it happens in other places, but it doesn't send their Twitter accounts into as much of a frenzy, I don't believe, unless you're Pogba wearing a, a 901 shirt and then getting arrested. That makes and sense. To be, and to be fair to the uh, kind of MLS stuff, there, you have four teams you currently have an interim head coach in charge between Charlotte, NYCFC, Houston Dynamo, and San Jose Earthquakes. Very true. And potentially uh, other teams possibly parting ways with their coach at the end of the year if certain results don't pan out as planned. No doubt. Let's go ahead and get into some quick shocks and uh, no shocks uh, or told you so's. Um, Tyler, this is your first I told you so moment and I guess some shocks as well. What are they, my man? Uh, I told you so is going to be the Richmond win. Um, now I know Omaha has some, some bones to pick about how that came about. Um, but results are results and it happened how it happened. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, when you lose to a team that has such a, a prolific offense, I, I mean, ref involvement or not, like you have to respect the fact that, you know, that was going to be a battle no matter what. Um, and, and that's one where, you know, I could have seen Omaha, pulling it out. Um, it's not like they're not equipped um, when they're really on, they're on, but uh, that's one of mine. Um, as far as shocks, um, honestly, probably my biggest shock is kind of how Omaha and Greenville played out. Um, I, I was nice. expecting Omaha to win, although that is another one that could have went either way, but I was mainly shocked by Greenville pulling back that point um, going down uh, to nine men and then still coming ahead and, and getting that draw. That was uh, pretty shocking to me. Um, so that was mine. Yeah, I think uh, both uh, Omaha and Greenville fans have a gripe for that PK. In all reality, the result is probably right. It probably should have been a nil-nil draw. But instead, we got two red cards, two penalties, and just utter chaos because League One knows no boundaries. Yeah. Just wait until Tucson wins by like 14 tonight or something. <laughs> should have locked it. I should have locked Tucson. <laughs> well, well, tonight's game's not the, the one that we're picking. That's this weekend. Ah. Tucson's got double. So don't worry. You didn't miss your opportunity. Okay. All right. All right yeah. I don't know. That uh, Richmond was one that shocked me. Um, that one was a shocker for me. Um, I definitely thought this was going to be a six-point uh, homestand for Omaha, so that was definitely a shocker for me. All right. How about Ryan? What are some shocks and told you so's? I guess it was a rather shocking scoreline, but I will put a told you so on uh, Monterey Bay beating uh, Indy 11-5-0. And one of the things that just has really stuck out to me with this Monterey Bay team is just how much they've kind of climbed 
over this kind of latter half of the season. If you're looking back through some of their previous historical results, this was a team who had lost 5-0 to El Paso and 6-0 to San Antonio at the start of this year. And slowly but ever surely, they are sitting at the doorstep of a playoff spot. In fact, just looking at uh, some of my ELO ratings, they, I, they had dropped further down throughout basically the entire portion of this season and have just now climbed back up to that average rating. So it's been a very long grind to get back up to this spot. And it's a Monterey Bay team who has three wins on the bounce and could be looking to kind of just gate crash here on the uh, seventh seed in the playoffs in the West. If you're, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if you're looking for a Twitter account to follow, just follow John whenever Monterey Bay wins because it goes full like Monterey Bay to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got a, I was just going to say, I've got a piece about them coming out for uh, Backheel tomorrow. They started the year with this seven game road stint as they needed their stadium to get completed. And they were just completely dire. You mentioned like that five nothing to El Paso. They were getting blitzed every time out. And full credit to what Frank Yellup did, sticking with his core, having them just try to find that tactical identity. They really solidified. They added smartly midseason when you think about Christian Valeski coming in at striker, Simon Dawkins on the wing. They've uh, they've won seven out of their last 10 now. My playoff odds have them just under 70% chance of getting in. It's a really great story. And it's interesting how two straight seasons we've seen a team uh, in the Western Conference, have a really terrible start as an expansion side, and then make it in with Oakland being the precedent last year. Ron, oh, go ahead. And I was gonna say, just I was curious on if there was how like at the last instance of a team turning around a five nil result in a season, like taking a five nil loss and getting one. And we actually had one with Los Dos last year, who had a five nil uh, win over the. Las Vegas, and then a loss against Phoenix by that same scoreline. That's literally what I was about to ask you, if you knew if uh, any team had gone the 5-5, even out the goal differential. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I, and I posted this uh, via a USL show Twitter account, and it was, I mean, Monterey Bay has more five-goal games than Phoenix does this year. Um. Was that on anybody's bingo card this year at all? I <laughs> I mean, call your shot, John. You did call that the Monterey Bay backline was going to be awesome, but no one mentioned five goals coming out of this team. If you told me Monterey Bay was going to score five goals all season, you could have convinced me with how they started off the year. And then they have sneaky, sneakily turned into a pretty – decent offense as well as a great defense god bless you roberts and monterey bay is arguably the best uh central california expansion team across uh usl championship and league one this year <laughs> i don't know what to do Hint, with that well this i intend to the uh central valley Fuego <laughs> drama <laughs> <laughs> Like, I wasn't ready to take the bait. <laughs> uh, let's, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that real quick, actually. Um, so Fuego have had an interesting incident that happened this last match. Um, 
just like most teams, uh, losing uh, 3-0 to uh, Charlotte typically uh, ends with somebody asking for someone to get fired, I guess. Except they're actually good this year, and I'm having to remind myself that they're not a complete dumpster fire um, just constantly. It, it feels like every single Chattanooga match I watch, they are a dumpster fire, except for this one. And the fans, from what I understand, is that after the third goal went in, they started chanting, fire their coach, and then left. Um, There's what Memphis did, which was have a silent protest and still stay for the whole game, enjoyed a 5-0 win and 17 red cards. And then Fuego's fans said, we're chanting at our coach to fire him, and then we're leaving. Um, how, how much do we feel like this is truly warranted on their end? Because this is truly just year one. I mean, I, I don't want to like step on their toes because I'm not part of the fan base, and I, so I'm not there, part of like the the culture in the games every day. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if I was in their situation. I, I don't know if I would be already going that direction because they still have the potential to make the playoffs. I mean, yeah, they need a lot of help to make that happen. Um, but it's a possibility and things might not be going as, as amazing as they would hope. Um, especially when you think about the way league one set up six teams, make it, uh, that's literally half the league can get in. And so your expectation is that you will be one of those six teams. Um, in year one, there's going to be growing pains, and, and I understand that. And I also understand as a fan, it's very frustrating. I'm an Everton fan and a Minnesota Vikings fan. I, I know about <laughs> those frustrations. <laughs> they they are in me daily, and I'm living that life. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe that just gives me a, a different perspective too, but I just feel like, it, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would be there yet, but also I don't really know that Central Val- Valley is going to have much of um, – some really, really strong chances going forward. They have a packed schedule. They are literally playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Like it's just back to back. And so their schedule is not doing them any favors. So um, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those tricky situations, I guess. Yeah. So I'll, I mean, their official, I think, account posted saying like, you know, the the badge says fire. You know, the fans are calling for fire and they're just not getting it with this coach, which begs the question of are, are they asking for more intensity or is this one of the situations of they would be okay with losing if they were scoring goals a la Tormenta last year? I mean, I think that's a fair question too because then you're right. It comes down to like what are the fans wanting? Is it a matter of – just having that drive and that passion, is that what they're asking for more than anything? Um, or is it the expectation is we're winning out and getting into the playoffs? Um, because you know, some fans are going to feel differently about that. Some fans, um, nobody's ever okay with losing and dropping points, but at the same time, um, it, it makes it a little bit more palatable if you feel like that team really cares and that coach really cares and everybody is giving everything they have. Um, and maybe they just feel like that's not happening. You like you had something to say, Ryan, before I rudely interrupted you. Just to kind of like build off of what Tyler had said, that they're still at least in a shout of the playoffs. They do. I you mentioned the pack schedule, but they do have two matches in hand over pretty yeah. much everyone else in front of them. It's odd for the yeah. scheduling quirks of USO one that the two teams currently on twenty four matches played are also the bottom three of the league at the moment. And as being only six points out of the playoffs, it's still within 
a stone's throw of getting in. There's obviously a lot of ifs around that, including having to go up against Richmond and Omaha away still on their schedule. But there are still winnable games on there, especially if you factor in NCFC, Northern Colorado, and SC Tucson. No doubt. Um, so, John, how about some shocks and told you so's? Yeah, well, this was more of a shock because I definitely didn't call it. But that Detroit City win over the Tampa Bay Rowdies was probably one of the more impressive games that I saw over the weekend. Detroit, for all the flack we've given them for just being Detroit, has <laughs> put together a really great two weeks with the win over Colorado Springs, uh, the win over Tampa Bay, clean sheets in both. They've kind of found their niche again where they've kept that defensive solidity, but they're getting that late goal that was just lacking in these games against the big-time opponent. Um, they're really just looking like a more effective side. They've made some good tweaks tactically, and I think that it's a sign of things to come, and they're going to be just as real as a lot of the other contenders in the East where you maybe had relegated them down to maybe the secondary tier. I think they play a style of game that can pay off come postseason. Like uh, a certain Orange uh, uh, Orange County last year. Sit defensively, defend your butt off, and win games, especially with, you know, Nate Steinwasher, who was not, you know, who hasn't been playing lately, but, you know, awesome, really awesome goalkeepers. Uh, we never talked about how they got the loney uh, Joe Rice, by the way, um, who was at Loudon. And the goals against him, you think he's a bad keeper until you watch the game and realize that his back line, well, it's an MLS 2 back line. He's pretty freaking good, too. They seem to be loaded everywhere at the goalkeeper position out in Detroit. And we've seen that in the past with teams going into the playoffs. It's basically who has the hot hand as the one that decides, like, how good are you going to be in the postseason this year? If you just... If you're going to run into the postseason with a uh, full speed ahead with a winning streak, it's going to benefit you well. And what I think is interesting is you're looking ahead at just these trio of teams in the middle of the Eastern Conference between Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Birmingham. You're looking at a Detroit schedule, which seems pretty favorable for them as they have the Baby Bulls, to, uh, Tulsa, Loudoun, Louisville, and Miami as their next five games. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the match that I called. This was about to be my I told you so. Um, to me, I felt like Detroit needing to get a win to stay in the hunt for a home playoff game. They're going against the Tampa Bay team that, I mean, granted, Detroit kind of has beef with everybody, but Tampa Bay seems to be near the top of the it list. And fans are going to show up for it. And we have seen Tampa Bay in the past – be frustrated by this Detroit team. And because if Tampa Bay doesn't really, I guess, get their way offensively, if they can't flow like they normally do, they you can tell they get frustrated. And something with this Detroit team is, yeah, they just don't have any quit. And stop if you're a fan of the USL, you've been a fan for a while, stop, tell me if you've heard this one before. Uh, team is defending. They start a counterattack. Openo scores in the 91st minute. Every single team in the East has experienced this, and everybody who played Reno experienced that. The, everybody has been hurt by that bad man in the 80-plus minute. He doesn't score unless it's the 80th minute. I swear to God. <laughs> but the system, the, the style of success is there, and it felt like when they were playing at home, 
sometimes they were getting kind of away from what was making them successful, which was truly playing that, you know, very well-organized defense and hit them on the counterattack. Sometimes it felt like they were trying to be too pretty on the ball, and it cost them points. Granted, some of those were horrible calls that were called against them, like the uh, new, uh, New Mexico match, but others it just felt like they tried to play a slightly different game. Um, and I'm not going to, uh, sorry, Brian, go ahead, go first. I was going to ask, like, would you say it's out of the question that Detroit uh, somehow sneaks into the number four seed? I don't think it is. Um, personally, um, with Pittsburgh, Birmingham and, uh, Tampa Bay all right there duking it out. Um, and all these teams kind of playing each other all at once. People are going. They're going to continue to play really tough schedules, and if Memphis can or Memphis, yikes, uh, Detroit City can still continue to win, um, they can. I think they can easily find themselves into that conversation of truly having a chance of hosting a home playoff game. Um, and before we move on from this one, I do want to, if you want to look up the drama, whatever. Um, obviously we don't have video of anything, but if what was coming out of, of, uh, Detroit with what one of the Tampa player, Tampa Bay players allegedly said to one of the, uh, to the Detroit city fans, um, you're disgusting. And yeah, um, I hope Tampa Bay does with you, with what you deserve. If that actually happened, if it didn't, what a weird lie, but I just want to throw that out there. Um, if you want to find it, it's not that hard to find. Um, for my shocks and told you so, like I said, this was my told you so. I I just felt really strongly about this one. Um, my shock, um, let's see. The offsides call against Birmingham was very shocking. Um, but if I want to get past my own biases, um, even though I picked it, I'm still shocked that Rio Grande came out with a one nil win over uh Colorado Springs. I I did pick it, and by the way, Colorado Springs, San Antonio are still scoreless as of now. If people are listening to this and wondering, um, I didn't really. Th- I thought they could get a win. I thought it could be something, but defensively, Rio Grande could shut them down mostly. But I didn't think it was going to really be a 1-0 win. I thought it might have been a squeaky 2-1. I didn't think they were going to get shut out against Colorado Springs. So that was absolutely shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, defensively, what they're doing right now is just so impressive. They figured it out with uh, a healthy rotation at center back. They press like maniacs the whole game. Everything they're doing right now is just so impressive. They're sort of in a similar situation to Monterey Bay where they found form late. They're in the thick of it in the playoff race. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens going forward for them. It seems like that 6-7-8 race is going to be defined by El Paso, Monterey, and RGV. El Paso has a lot of games in hand at this point. Everyone's playing pretty decently. It's just a lot of havoc. If you want a match to circle on your calendar, you have RGV against Monterey Bay uh, in Texas on the final day of the regular season. Uh, I love when schedule makers accidentally do stuff like that. It's awesome. And can you believe if in the preseason, if anyone thought that game was going to matter? Like, come on. 
Oh, it was, I thought it was going to matter for the wooden spoon. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> preseason, for people who don't remember or they're new to the show, we did a preseason poll of like who was going to win awards, who was going to do whatever. Monterey Bay easily won the preseason wooden spoon award. Easily. And eat your heart out, losers. <laughs> Playoff Monterey Bay is coming, and they're not going to stop unless, you know, I don't know, 424 RGV happens. Um, I did kind of mention it sort of in jest, sort of I'm still salty about it. The Pittsburgh Legion game did happen, and that offsides call could prove to be um, uh, uh, proved to be pretty important because if that goal had counted and Legion got the third goal um, in that match, Legion would have the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. But since the goal did not stand, Pittsburgh holds the tiebreaker over Legion. Granted, that's for if they finish in third place. So kind of a big if right now, but still one that exists. Um, and yeah, I think that's uh, it's definitely a weird call for anybody who hadn't seen it. It was bad. But it could have some real actual implications on this playoffs, and I'm I'm pretty intrigued to see how it turns out. I wish I was a neutral and not have you know emotional interest in it. <laughs> it was a terrible call. Like there's no two ways about it. But I think that the way that Birmingham responded and kind of changed things up to really take a grip on the game was impressive, nonetheless, to kind of show that strength to get around something that galling. I don't know. Yeah, it, I sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna agree because some teams would let that frustrate them to the point that they just get sloppy um, from that point on and and let that frustration grow and just fixate on the fact that they had that terrible call. Because I mean, like you guys, like I was watching that and I was like, How is that? <laughs> I, I just I couldn't quite every time I looked at it, I was like, Maybe, and it just never quite panned out of my brain. I was like, Okay, yeah, that was just a bad call. Yeah, I mean, you can it did frustrate them. They immediately gave up a goal afterwards. That's what was and that's what was so gut-wrenching about it is that they immediately gave up the goal. And then they go out and score two uncontested. And something I'm really interested to see what you thought about John was they Legion moved they brought in another defenseman with Jake Roof and they stayed at a four-man backline pushing up Johnny Dean as a, a true winger in this game at the very end after they go up to one. And it was really interesting to watch as the team got more defensive, but also became more dangerous on the counterattack simultaneously. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing. And I think more teams should really think about doing that is that if you have a pacey player, instead of subbing them off, <laughs> you know, to go more defensive, Find someone else who's not as fast. Just put the pasty player up top, even if they're a fullback, possibly, and just let them to be a counterattack option. That way, if you hoof the ball along, there's at least a little bit of pressure and you waste, you know, 10, 15 seconds with chasing the ball down into the attacking third. Well, we talked about Monterey Bay, right? That's literally what they do with Sam Gleadle on the right wing. Like, he's an absolute rocket on that side. They have that solid defense play it long into him, see what happens. And I mean, Lito's got, I think, four goals in three games or something yeah. crazy like that. And Johnny Dean is, no offense to Gleadle, who's amazing, but Johnny Dean is probably the best right back in the USL or in the conversation. 
So seeing that was heartening for sure. And I think it was another example of Birmingham playing better when they actually use proper wingers, but that's just me. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Moving on, let's go ahead and get into some predictions because there are some real bangers this week. Um, we kind of talked about them and how two teams have gone the opposite directions from everything we thought. Monterey Bay versus Phoenix, which could weirdly turn into an awesome game or the most boring no-no draw you've ever seen, and I'm not too sure which. Tyler. Uh, all right. So a- after seeing some some recent results and and watching everything that John's been posting, he's got me on the hype train for Monterey Bay. They're gonna win this one. <laughs> Ryan, choo choo. I mean, in the last fourteen games, Monterey Bay has conceded nine goals, and they're capping off a five match uh, homestand here with just one last home game to go on their schedule after this Phoenix match. And I'm going to lock Monterey Bay to be a very struggling Phoenix Rising team this week. John? Phoenix just doesn't care at all at this point. Monterey has everything to play for, so Monterey Bay wins. I would like to say uh, congrats to Juan Guerra for your uh, for a win for Phoenix because I am also taking Monterey Bay in this one. <laughs> um, moving on, we have Charleston with – a GM bump is a GM bump a thing. I know coaches bumps are a thing. We'll see if a GM bumps a thing versus Rio Grande, who, like we said, is fighting for that playoff spot. Um, I'm going to say that we got Rio Grande on this one. Um, I, I know we got like the, the GM bump. You got to like get a hashtag going, Kayla. Um, and, <laughs> but I just, I don't know. After that, that frustrating last match, I don't know if they bounced back quite yet. So um, I, I'm just going to go RGV. Yeah, I'll pick RGV as well with this one. I think Charleston is just going to start having to build towards next year, and RGV still has something to play for. What interests me about this one is having the match on the Friday because that gives them a long week before they have two back-to-back very tough games against Louisville and Memphis, and I think that's really going to decide if they're going to be a playoff team in the West or not. But RGV this week. Locked RGV here. Um, we talked about the red cards for Charleston. That means that they're going to be missing some players, and they aren't any good to begin with. So that kind of spells a Torres win. Brutal. Uh, just so, just for people who need to know, uh, Harmon's going to be out. Uh, Cicero's going uh, to be out. Archer's going to be out. Archer's the big one there. Um, I'm a big yeah. fan of him. Um, but – yeah, when your bad starters are out, this is the great time to just bang on the drum, play the kids, just play the kids, dang it, and lose to RGV because that's what's going to happen. Next up, we had Tampa Bay Rowdies versus Legion FC, a battle for third place. I was tempted to go Tampa Bay, but I'm actually going to go Legion on this one. Um, I, I, I don't know. Just, uh, I, I got some feeling that they're going to come through on this, this match. I think of all the teams in the Eastern conference that really benefit from playing at home, Tampa Bay is one of them. They've won five consecutive games at home. And if you're looking at their remaining schedule of their remaining five, four of them are in outlaying and I'm going to be picking the Rowdies on this one, but what I'm really interested in is last season, they had a run of games where they won seven consecutive home games and, 
I, if they just win their next three, they would break that uh, record they had set last year for themselves. And I think that's something within reach. Tampa Bay hasn't been very good offensively as of late, but when they do get their chances, it comes when they attack the right side of the opposition with LaCava and Fernandez moving so fluidly. It's a challenge game for Johnny Dean defensively. I think the Rowdies are just due to get something big, so I went with them here. Um, despite Legion playing Tampa Bay, I am still the owner of the Jake LaCava fan club, so if people want to join, I'm still taking um, – you know, people for that. Um, yeah, just go ahead and join that. I don't think there has been an official update on CJ Cochran, uh, John, which we'll see. Have we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't think there's been anything might be out for a bit. Yeah. Um, so that might do well for Legion. Um, they do like to uh, shoot a lot. They don't always like to put them on goal, but they at least like to shoot a lot. And with a backup keeper, sometimes you just have to put it on net and pray. Granted, that's what a lot of people do in the USL anyway. And against CJ Cochran, that doesn't work. But against some other keepers, maybe it will. Um, like like all points said, they're playing in Lang. Legion's hot right now, but they win. Legion wins every single time I pick against them. So I'm hoping the luck continues or the bad luck. I don't care whichever one. I'm taking Tampa Bay here. Um, next up, we have Loose City versus Memphis 901, a possible battle to get down to first place in this Eastern Conference. I'm going to go Loose City on this one. This has some big implications, and I think it's going to be a tough battle. Part of me wanted to call it a draw, um, but I, I feel like Louisville's uh, just got a lot of fight going on with them. And then plus, I mean, They've just, they've just been producing. And I feel like they rise to the occasion when necessary. Um, rocking a defender that's just banging in goals. Uh, what else can you say? I, I think they got this one, and I think that they want it bad enough they're going to make it happen, even though it's going to be a very tough game. God bless Shantosh. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. back Louisville to win this one as well. Oh, Like we've mentioned with Tampa Bay, like Louisville, they're a very strong team to play at home. You have to go back to that Monterey Bay win and who would have uh, saw that coming in may 21st that monterey bay would become the team they are today when they beat louisville back then but uh louisville city to win this one and i as far as i can tell i think memphis has not won a game in louisville before seems about right so i went with louisville to win this one uh, i did the tactic show today about tyler gibson and i think he's going to be crucial in this matchup Memphis is a team that moves players very fluidly in their attacking midfield and creates space in the exact area where Gibson operates, and he's too smart to allow that to happen. And I really think that's going to jam things up for 901 and let Louisville get the win here. Louisville has the same respect that I give to my uh, Alabama women's soccer team, and it's just that they're built different. Yeah, you mentioned Sean Tosh just bagging in pins. I mean, I love watching him take a penalty. There's not many people I'd rather take a penalty right now, maybe in the world. Dude is just consistent um, and also a quality defender at that. Playing in Louisville, I think, is the difference here. Obviously, we already saw the Memphis leg of this, but if this match was in Memphis, even though it came off a little bit of a fluky 5-0 win, 5-0 going into another home game against top of the league Louisville, I feel like we could be having a different conversation. But it in Louisville, you have to back the boys in purple. I am taking Louisville City. Uh, next up, we have the 
Miami FC versus Monterey Bay. Uh, like I mentioned before, choo-choo, Monterey Bay. I'm still on the train. I think this is going to be a, at least a tougher match for Monterey Bay. If you're looking at some of the kind of, uh, the form for everyone in the league right now, the Miami FC is the only team to be unbeaten in their last five games, which I think is still worth something. They've only been shut out five times this year all season. So I think it'll be a very interesting match to watch, but ultimately one that ends in a draw. Draw for me as well. Monterey really has a tall task with that midweek game, then traveling one, what I have to imagine is one of the worst road trips in the league, getting from Northern California down to Miami. Um, Miami's in good form, but again, I hit on it pretty much whenever I discussed them. They can never really come through with those elite level performances you want, even when they get the goals from Kyle Murphy. There's something counteracting that. So I think there's sort of a balancing act here that ends up with an even match. Uh, the Miami has the same treatment for me that I give Legion, and it's that until you prove it to me, I'm not going to pick you. And the Miami has had their prove-it games, and then they prove why I was right to um, you know, doubt them before. Um, and right now, I, I just feel really confident with what Monterey Bay is doing. The Miami has struggled to score goals with arguably one of the best strikers in the league. And it's hard to see them breaking down our Monterey Bay defense. I am taking Monterey Bay. Next up, we have uh, Detroit City FC versus FC Tulsa. A match about two weeks ago we thought could have been really important. And now, I mean, we're picking it. <laughs> I was tempted not to go with this pick because, like I said earlier, I'm a Vikings fan and we play the Lions this week, so I wanted to be spiteful and not choose Detroit City, but I couldn't <laughs> let myself do it. I'm choosing Detroit City to win this one. Um, they've had some uh, pretty solid results as of late, um, and, and I think they come out on top. We talk about how important it is to just kind of be that team with the momentum going to the playoffs. If you look back through Orange County from last season, they won their final five games of the year. And I think Detroit City with this remaining schedule is pretty primed to at least go on a decent run, Louisville result notwithstanding. I think Louisville City get the result here, and I think they'll pick up the uh, Baby Bulls midweek as well. Or sorry, Detroit. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, I was like, wait. Detroit, Detroit. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I hear baby bulls and anything about a win in the same sentence. <laughs> Don't disrespect but the I do. bulls after those games ever again, please. <laughs> <laughs> More seriously, though, I do think Detroit pretty easily gets the win here. Uh, and with this run of results that they've been getting recently, new signee and former Detroit player, Yazid Matthews, has come into the lineup. And he plays a little deeper in the forward line to really give them that extra spunk in the center of the pitch against a Tulsa team that that's been a problem area for them. And with the formal elimination from the playoffs, I think they're lacking a bit of that motivation maybe, whereas Detroit really wants to possibly get a home playoff game. Imagine that, a key worth. So I think they're going to come out and win this pretty handily. On top of that, if you're going to motivate a team who's been eliminated from the playoffs, trying to hype them up and say you can play spoiler is really hard when the team has already clinched the playoffs. Why are you really spoiling? Oh no, you have to play the 
you know, fourth ranked team as opposed to the third. Ooh. Um, yeah, I'm taking Detroit City here. I think this is might possibly be an offensive coming out party for Detroit City. They may not have to wait until the second half uh, to score their goals um, because the the fighting TMFJs uh, they they don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till the second half anymore. It's okay. Bag your goals against FC Tulsa. Next up, we have what some people might consider the match of the week if it's not already going on right now, um, and it's San Antonio versus Sacramento. Uh, for my pick, I'm going San Antonio. I know Sacramento just came off of two 4 0 wins, um, but this is a different opponent altogether, um, different level. And I think that's going to be much tougher for them. And San Antonio uh, pulls it off. For reference, uh, it's the 62nd minute, and there's no score between San Antonio and uh, the switchbacks at the moment. But yeah, I would say San Antonio with the slight edge, just playing at home with this one, ending a, a four-match homestand. I'd pick them with a very low-scoring uh, game. Yeah, I mean, these are two teams that sit in with the back five, try to hit you on the counter. For everything that San Antonio has done fantastically this season, they're never a team that has that offensive outburst uh, that early Monterey game notwithstanding. But you saw really maybe that offense clicking for Sacramento on that Sunday night ESPN2 game where they put up four first-half goals. I Something about this has just given me the feel that the Republic have kind of found it on offense, and I think that carries them to a win. So, I mean, if there's anything that uh, Brendan Burke has taught me is that uh, San Antonio is not good. They're just efficient. Um by the way, what a quote that is, and what a – I can't believe they posted that. I can't believe they just didn't scratch that one That because that could backfire very quickly. Yeah, that is sassy. I mean, if you're the PR person, you hear that, and you say, that's funny, Brendan, and you don't write it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I'm taking San Antonio here. And it's only because San Antonio's at home. This is a match to me that feels like it's going to be a draw. But for new listeners, I refuse to pick draws. So I am going to ride the home team and I am going to go San Antonio, who if they if they get this win and uh Louisville loses or draws to my or to Memphis, I think they secure the number one overall. I think that's what I read. Maybe my math is bad. Maybe I'm losing oxygen in this truck. I don't know. Um, Moving on, a match that kicks off in three minutes. Uh, So we got to get through this one fast. It is Tucson versus North Carolina, the match that everybody has been waiting for. Man, uh, I feel like anymore, both of these teams are just here to hurt the teams at the top of the table. Like they don't really want a playoff spot. They just want to make everybody else's lives miserable. Um, I I think it like as much as it is just a match between two bottom of the table teams. I don't know. I kind of think it'll be fun to watch. Um, I'm going uh, Tucson though here lately. They've just been like pulling it out. I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but they're, they're just coming away with results. Um, I I almost went with a draw on this one, but I just feel like Tucson's going to come out on top here. Yeah, Tucson with uh, having two wins in their last uh, home games and having scored a goal dating all the way back to August 20th. Uh, I think Tucson get a result here. 
if you're not watching North Carolina for Garrett McLaughlin up top, I mean, he's a really fantastic striker. I think he's got, he's so a solid lean to the double digits for goals this year. And I think he's going to have a big night against Tucson. So care North Carolina. See, I'm going Tucson here partially because home game, partially because Tucson weirdly seems like they might be, they might have figured it out, which I mean, I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> but yeah. And Garrett McLaughlin's obviously a quality player. Um, one guy that obviously um, you, to me, you should definitely be looking at for this uh, Tucson team is, I mean, coming into this one, you have their guy who's going to be in the back for them. And I'm going to struggle with saying his name. I know it's Carlos. Um, Marinaccio or no, it's not a C it's cause it's not Italian. Anyway, I'm really struggling. Um, with saying I'm really bad at Spanish. That's the secret. I'm a hick from Alabama. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we're going to see with what he does today. Cause this is like you said, Gary McLaughlin's a really good uh, player. He's going to bag his goals. And let's just see how they hold it down in the back. Um, we'll see there. But I do think Tucson gets a goal. Um, North Carolina's leaky. Um, and Tucson set pieces and Tucson corners. That's just what they do. Um, moving on, we have Fuego might be firing their coach, maybe, versus Ford Madison, who, um, without letting you guys predict, they're probably going to draw. I'm just going to go ahead and be the spoiler. That's just, yeah, power. Uh, so on that one, uh, I, I don't know. I had a little bit of a tough time with this. Um, I feel like Central Valley, I mean, obviously has a, a more clear line of sight towards that playoff spot. Um, Madison, I thought, was going to be much uh, doing much better at this point um, as far as securing that. And things just not have uh, been going their way at all. Um, I do think that they're going to manage to turn it around this game. This will be the one that they finally change their fortune and get the win off of this. I think we're going to see people starting to heat up a little bit like Cassini. Um, I think he'll be a factor in this game. Um, and, and I think they actually get themselves back in a better spot this time. Yeah, I'm going to go with Madison to win this one as well. Uh, solely on just the motivation that if it doesn't come here, it, I think the playoffs are going to kind of slip out of their reach. If you're looking ahead yeah. out of this Fuego match, you then host Tormenta and host Richmond following that. And those are two really tall orders to beat both of them in consecutive games. So I think they are motivated from wanting to stay alive within the playoffs because if it doesn't happen here, it's unlikely to occur. Yeah, so Madison has one win in their last 11 games, which is pretty brutal. But, uh, Kayla, you just mentioned the Carlos Marancio effect for Tucson. I think we're getting a big uh, Reco Rosarena game in goal tonight to see forward Madison, or not tonight, rather. I'm getting confused, but a bigger Rosarena game to get a win for forward Madison. Man, could Tampa, does Tampa Bay want him back right now? <laughs> um, you know, I'm a big fan of a Rosarena, the better a Rosarena, um, if you will. Um, <laughs> we're not going to talk about the other one. Um, yeah, I'm taking forward Madison here, um, especially weirdly enough since this is playing in Central Valley. The fans have turned against that team, and that's never a good place to be. So I'm going to go with Ford Masson. And finally, we have, once again, Ford Masson versus 
uh, Tormenta, the Battle of the Birds. Even though I picked uh, Madison on our, our last pick, uh, I think that this time uh, Tormenta comes out. I still feel uh, Tormenta is going to hold their spot in the playoffs. Um, I think they're going to capitalize on Madison. I, I know they've not had necessarily insane results uh, in the last like 10 or so games. Um, it's been like kind of 50% ratio as far as taking points and losing points. Um, but I think Tormenta is going to make sure that they manage to get their first uh, playoff spot this year. Um, and they're not going to want to let that slip away. Yeah, interestingly, this season, uh, Tormenta has not beaten Madison in a, or in a USO one match, just the uh, one loss in July and then the uh, draw that occurred in June. I think, uh, like you said, Tyler, they're going to be very just motivated to want to get into this playoff spot, and especially if they could climb into the top four and kind of hope to get that kind of home playoff game in the first round. I think that's enough of a motivation factor to get them to have a win here. And I don't want to interrupt you, John, like, but also I just want to also mention too, just like them having uh Kazai Sterling. I don't think they're going to want to waste that opportunity of having somebody like him on their team. Um, because as everybody's kind of speculated, he's probably not going to be around next year. Um, and I think that they, they notice that that's going to be like, okay, we need to capitalize on him and uh, what he can bring to the team now. Yeah, I mean, you spoke to Sterling is fantastic up top. I really like what they have in defense. Uh, Josh Phelps is one of my favorite defenders in the league. Love that guy. This is a tremendous team that is weirdly really good on the road and really poor at home. And I think that Madison just kind of isn't that good. So going with Tormenta. There was at one point when we thought Ford and Madison might be a title contender, and then they decided that winning is for chumps. But then they also decided that losing is for chumps. Um, which was kind of fun to see, but um, away Tormenta is awesome, and I still love the tweet from Walking Ninety, which was Tormenta is going to accidentally play themselves into a home playoff game, um, <laughs> something they probably don't want, weirdly enough. But I also have Tormenta here. Um, yeah, Joshua Phelps, I love that guy. If you ever get a chance to talk to him, he is. I've met Australian people before. He is the most Australian person I have ever met in my life. Um, you know, six foot a million, very Australian. We'll get a red card. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm taking Tormenta here. Um, but yeah, uh, does anybody have any final USL thoughts? I'm going to say it, even though we're a little ways out, because I said I would. I'm going to go ahead and call Charlotte for a lock for the playoffs. I'm going to put it down, and I'm either going to look like a ginormous dummy or a genius. I don't know which, but I'm ready to say it publicly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go that route. I've been on that for about a, a couple weeks now, thinking that they're going to make it happen. And I feel like a lot of people are saying nay to them making it there and uh, thinking everybody's crazy for thinking it's possible. But I think they got this. I think they have – the easiest road out of those people in that particular position, um, especially considering their past results. They've uh, come away with some pretty solid results against uh, all the teams that are in the top six. It's like they just don't quit against them, um, and I think it's going to happen. I mean, if you do look like a giant dummy, I mean, welcome to the show, dude. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I teach middle school. I look like a giant dummy all day, every day. So maybe I'm just becoming immune to it. I, I feel <laughs> that. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting, uh, you know, conversation to have with Charlotte, and I would love to dive into it a little bit more, you know, probably next week because we're going to see some interesting results from them. Oh, I do have one uh, USL news, actually. Um, we didn't talk about it at the top of the show. I have personal word from people that are in the Legion front office that it is not an if, it is a win for when Legion gets a W League team. So W League is coming to Birmingham and they are actively coming. They are actively wanting it to be 2023, but it's not um, impossible for it to be pushed back to 2024. But W League is coming to Birmingham, which is awesome. Everybody knows that I'm a big fan of the W League. Um, you know, we had the interviews on here, which were awesome. I mean, Betsy was incredible. And I hope we do that same conversation next year because I could talk W League all day. Um, but yeah, that's I think final bit of USL news. Um, unless y'all have anything that y'all want to discuss, John, Ryan. All good. Cool, cool, cool. All right, John, you got some final thoughts for the folks? Yeah, made it out to the theaters, saw uh, See How They Run last night, which is sort of a whodunit kind of movie, like set in 50s London theater district kind of thing. It's like a little bit more of a pretentious Knives Out, if that is something that would appeal to you. It's a fun watch. It's not going to do huge numbers at the box office, so you'll get a nice, calm theater environment. Go go watch something fun. Ryan? Just that I'm looking forward to uh, this upcoming season of fall. It's my favorite time of the year and just for cooler weather ahead. Love that. When you said upcoming season of fall, I spent a good second there thinking (laughs) this was some sort of TV show. (laughs) Game of Thrones has gotten weird. Fall is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, San Antonio just scored. Wow. Would you look at that? Mm, they're not good. They're just efficient. <sighs> what a terrible line. Tyler. Yeah. Uh, nothing for me. I said my piece. <laughs> you don't have any final thoughts? Anything going on in the personal life that you want to talk about? Uh, it's, man, everything's just crazy. Like I said, just a uh, busy coaching soccer and uh trying to catch up on tv shows having two kids i'm behind on my lord of the rings i don't know what i'm going to be able to watch andor so i'm just kind of like in this like perpetual realm of not watching things i want to watch and all my friends are like hey man did you watch that yet i'm like no no don't don't speak to me yet (laughs) but that'll even out eventually (laughs) so i mean when it comes to the middle school thing i'm teaching middle school right now and one of the teachers that are in there because i'm doing my student teaching right now for people who don't know and the main teacher that's supposed to be there was sick well his daughter is sick and so i had uh 402 kids today myself um that was not fun um it's it's surprising just how punchable some 12 year olds can become (laughs) it's fine though um it's totally okay I didn't punch any of them. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, I think I normally, oh, uh, this Sunday I'm going to go watch Zach Brown Band. So very excited oh, about wow. that. 
Um, if you have them uh, coming near you, go watch them because this might be their last tour because I think their guitarist has uh, Lou Gehrig's. Um, so this might be their final tour. So if you have a chance to go check them out. Tickets are like $9 for people in Birmingham. So like go. Um, I am so stoked. And my piece of music for today, um, we're going to go with the Ravel pictures at an exhibition. It's very nice. I recommend. That's my least favorite Zach Brown song. <laughs> mm, it's a little contemporary for them. A little contemporary. <laughs> you know, I heard Zach Brown band do um, Bulls on Parade, and it was, it was interesting. It was Zach Brown Band doing Bulls on Parade. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, you can find it. Oh, what's his name? There's a cover of Bulls on Parade that was on like a version. And it's uh, Denzel Curry. Yes, Denzel Curry. It is yeah. incredible. Um, but yeah, um, we are totally losing the plot of the USL. Um so thank you so much for listening. Um, hey, like I said, uh, and like Brandon Burke says, San Antonio is not good. They're just efficient. Um, fire all the coaches. Fire all the GMs. They all deserve it. And your team is definitely going to be making the playoffs, except for the ones firing their GMs. Don't worry about it. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And Charlotte just got – or Charlotte. Uh, Charleston just got another red card. Um, and you didn't hear him tonight, but – Alan, go ahead, cue us out, man. Ah! Thank you for watching another episode of the USL Show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>